Hi, I'm Tommy Henry. In addition to hosting the Chicago History Podcast, I also listen to many, many other podcasts. A few months back, I heard about a Chicago-based podcast with a topic about which I've long been fascinated, the Edgewater Hospital, a Northside Chicago hospital with a long and storied history, some of it good and some of it downright terrible, involving Medicare fraud, unnecessary surgeries, mentally ill people being bussed in from other parts of the city, embezzlement, suicides, and worse. The podcast series, If the Walls Could Talk, created by Todd M. Gans and Stephanie Young, does a deep dive into all aspects of this Chicago hospital, from its beginnings in 1929 when it was run like a five-star hotel, to when it shuttered in 2001 with the authorities demanding answers. Not always an easy listen, but fascinating. I had the opportunity to speak with Stephanie and Todd about their experience and how it affected them in an interview that is also available on the Chicago History Podcast YouTube channel, if you'd like to watch it there. Either way, enjoy. There are a lot of people that said, that Edgewater Hospital, something's going on up there. There were just a mind-numbing menu of fraud issues the hospital was facing. Basically, without this fraudulent stream of income, the hospital just couldn't survive. They were, like, scooping up homeless people and dragging them in to have procedures and whatever else done. You know, people had these incredibly complicated, invasive procedures done to them, and people died. I have no idea how the FBI got tipped off, but I'm glad they did. Edgewater is a lesson in contrasts. This was a brilliant hospital, and then, uh, you know, it did a 180. When you looked at those pictures, it looked like time just stopped one day. The whole thing is sad, because I knew it when it was a thriving, functioning hospital. There's such an element of mystery to what happened there. It seemed like a frivolous pursuit to a lot of people. But becoming part of the grim and tangled legacy of Edgewater Hospital was really something I always aspired to do. The thing that I remember the most about Edgewater Hospital was the volume of medical records left behind. You know, they had like patient rooms with like beds and couches and books and the carpets were growing like grass. You know, Hillary Clinton was born here, but so was John Wayne Gacy. That's what bothers me. People will remember Edgewater Hospital because this and not what Edgewater Hospital was. It's a compelling story for sure, but it's also a sad story. I mean, this is a snapshot into egregious healthcare fraud. If the walls could talk, it would tell a story that is unfortunate in American healthcare. The hospital wasn't even given the dignity of a respectful death. It's like a loved one died in the street and everyone just let it rot right there. Todd and Stephanie, welcome. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. So please share with uh, the listeners your story, where each of you grew up, and um, how you became interested in the Edgewater Hospital. Well, I'm originally from Northwest Indiana and always said I lived in Chicago because we were so close to Chicago that even the rest of the state of Indiana always said 
oh, you're from the region. You follow Central Time and the Bulls and White Sox and Cubs. So uh, I learned that when I went into school that there was such a hostility among folks from the region, from the rest of Indiana. Um, but been in Chicago since 2000 and been living where I am now in uh, Andersonville since 2007, which is kind of where the fascination with the hospital started because it's kind of at the end of my street. And when I moved up here, I had a lot of questions in, in my mind, and there wasn't a lot online. And in fact, the first time I ever went and kind of walked around those buildings, I thought they were open because it just looked like, you know, they were just closed for the day. But then noticed that some of the, the doors were boarded up and windows were broken. And I remember taking out an old, like, Canon sure shot those little digital cameras we had in the early 2000s taking a picture and the security guard shows up out of nowhere nowhere and says you can't take pictures of this building and I thought well that's odd you know I'm standing on the sidewalk here not a big deal um, and so then I started googling and and digging and discovered there was some bad stuff that went on there that that closed the place down and um, it was kind of in limbo at that point and really up until a couple of years ago looked that way until they started knocking down the buildings. I grew up in central Illinois, a small town called Danville. If you know where that is, it's where Dick Van Dyke is from. That's about the only cool thing about Danville, but that's where I'm from. I've been in Chicago since 2011 and I lived in Wrigleyville for the most of my time in Chicago. I worked for the Chicago Cubs for about five seasons and Todd and I actually worked together at a radio station, and he's the one that told me about this creepy abandoned hospital at the end of his block. And there's actually an email exchange between us at some point where he sent me photos that had been published online of the abandoned hospital and how creepy it looked. And I was like, please don't ever take me there. And here we are in 2020, 2021, releasing a podcast about the place. So that's how I initially got interested. Clearly, I took her to that place. Well, so Todd, just to step back for a second, the fact that there was a um, security guard telling you you couldn't take a picture from the sidewalk just seems completely bizarre to me. You know, it's it's a public stretch. It's not like you were an urban explorer trying to kick in the the doors to get you know uh, better access. So that seems uh, super super uh, weird. So. Uh, so Todd, you knew about the hospital, you tell Stephanie about it. And then at some point the, the, uh, genesis for this podcast came about whose, uh, whose idea was it initially? And was it a struggle to get the other one on board, uh, to do it? So we I, were sitting, yeah. we were sitting at the old stone Fox, which is now a Parsons. It's on the corner of Edgewater and Clark in Andersonville. And when you're sitting on the patio, you can see the old hospital. So summer 2019, Todd and I were sitting on this patio having a cocktail or two at Stone Fox and we're staring at the hospital and we've done a little bit of research on it at this point. We walk around it all the time because it's being demolished. Some of the buildings were at that point and we'd walk around occasionally to see the progress that it had made. And Todd said, you know, I really wish that I would have done a documentary about this but I never really took a lot of pictures, never took much video. And I said, well, why don't we do a podcast? And that's, that's kind of how it started. And yeah. so he was, he, Todd, you're right on board at that, I'm sure, right? 
it was, yeah, it, it, in my mind, I'm like, there's no excuse that you don't have pictures because all you need now is audio. And that's what my background was for 20 some years in, in radio. So um, we kind of got a yellow piece of uh, paper and started sketching out how many ideas we had and where we thought the story would go and what we knew at the time versus what we ended up knowing was night and day. So it went from, well, well maybe three, four episodes. And at one point it was 15 and we had to just start knocking stuff out because it was just too complex and confusing. It, uh, it can certainly get a little cumbersome. So I wanted to read this. Um, uh, I saw a quote, uh, Todd, uh, that Robert Feeder had in a column uh, where you talk about if, if the walls could talk. Uh, you called it, uh, quote, a hybrid of the history and true crimes genres as the Edgewater story extends well beyond the walls of that hospital, uh, which I'd say is pretty spot on. Um, you know, it, uh, it, it was amazing for me to hear the number of people that you got involved in the, in the podcast, the number of stories, the number of different angles and, and stuff that you followed, I thought was, uh, really, really compelling. So kudos for having that much, um, focus to do all the stuff that you did on it. Yeah. I think focus and time during a pandemic helped. We, uh, kind of had nothing else going on over the last few months and, and that certainly helped. But, um, we were shocked just how this story we thought could have ended three times. And yet there was a whole, no oh, you think the story ends here? It doesn't. And that to me was probably the most surprising. It was like um, this place got away. And, and in essence, the, the guy kind of behind the scheme got away with so much and just kept running and and was pretty successful by 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 most standards. I mean, he he did end up in prison for a little bit, but not a lot. Not to give away too many spoilers, there was a point where they were in court saying, well, he's an old man now, so keep that in mind. It's like, well, yeah, he's an old man because he avoided prosecution all these years. Like, you know, you don't get to pick and choose when you're finally going to, you know, uh, pay the piper. Uh, I don't know who uses that phrase anymore. But um, uh, and, and then try to claim like, well, now I'm old. Do you really want to prosecute me? It's like, no, we kind of do. But uh, right. for me, hearing the staff interviewed having them tell all of their uh, stories in those amazing Chicago accents was, was kind of heartbreaking in so many ways. You know, I love to hear like the good stories, but then you could really hear the effect that the whole thing had. And I had to keep reminding myself this happened 20 years ago and all of them were still, you know, kind of mourning this loss and to have a place that you worked at um, go to hell you know, not abruptly, but kind of abruptly. I mean, looking at, you know, some of the people that had worked there for 30 years and you'd talk to the woman who ran the nursery and it really sounded as though she thought she was going to run that nursery until she couldn't run it anymore. And when they, you know, slashed that and, and outsourced it right at first, and then they closed it all together, um, just was crushing to me. I, you know, it was almost tough to hear in a way. Imagine doing the interviews for that. <laughs> well, so that's so that's what I have to ask. You know, I, I actually wrote here. Um, you know, when I do an episode about dark stuff, it it kind of drags me down. You know, I did an episode on the Eastland disaster, and there was so much stuff that I didn't know, and entire families and entire neighborhoods essentially wiped out. You know, when the boat tipped over, 
and it, it kind of stays with me. So for you guys to be so, you know, and then I can usually counter it with something upbeat, but for you two to be so involved with this for so long and recording and editing and talking to these people, how much did that stick with you? A lot. I can't tell you the number of times that I cried throughout this entire process between the interviews, between editing, between listening back. It was just a lot of tears. And Todd and I actually took a vacation to Florida for about three weeks in April. And we called it our detox because for the better part of the past two years, we've been talking about this hospital and all the terrible things that went on there. And we kind of just needed a break because it is emotionally tolling. <laughs> yeah. Very early on, we had an interview with with a doctor who had worked there, and we had no idea his his lengthy connection to the place. And he's featured throughout this podcast. And when we asked a certain question, it kind of organically came up where I, I just said, you know, if those walls could talk at that hospital, what do you think they would say? And And he lost it. And the two of us are just sitting on this call and... Stephanie said, like, immediately this this hospital at the end of our street suddenly became personal. And and we recognized the, the same thing. It it was a different time where, where a lot of people, you know, you worked at one place your entire career. And for many people at Edgewater, that was that one place. And so many people were born there. So many people were trained there and became doctors or were patients. And, you know, the the, the haunting final chapter of what happened there the word kept coming up and that was closure and people were still like you said 20 years after the fact not processing that closure and that stuck with both of us and um you know there was one call in particular where the the two of us were on with one of the fbi agents who investigated and there was no break in her voice no quiver and all of a sudden she's crying talking about the fact that their work closed this hospital their investigation pushed all these folks out of jobs. And, you know, you're like over a Zoom call saying, you know, this wasn't your fault. You weren't the one perpetrating this fraud that that had killed people. In fact, you were stopping it. So um, to think that it still haunts her all these many years later, because this was the 90s. And, 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 you know, it was it was like we had picked at a scar. uh, And I remember somebody even posing that question to us early on saying, why now? Yeah, it was like on our first day of interviews, and we're like, "Oh, I, we're not sure how to answer that." Yeah, I, I, I did not have an answer, nor was I prepared to even think about that because in my mind it was like, you know, we're we're trying to get to the bottom of this, but you know, it's like let's just leave the past in the past, and it it, it was something early on, and and we used to say we would do these interviews, we'd schedule them at night because we had day jobs and we would talk from like 5.30 to nine o'clock at night with people. And by the end, I'm like, I need A, a stiff drink or B, a shower. Um, it was tough. <laughs> Why not both? A stiff drink in the shower, may, maybe. <laughs> Those are the best kind. The shower Jeez. beer, right. <laughs> Gets it. Stephanie gets it. Shower beers. You know, you actually had in in one of the, I think it was your Q&A episode, which uh, for for those of you listening who um, haven't uh, checked out If the Walls uh, Could Talk, uh, there's a Q&A episode, which uh, was great because as I was listening, I was like, oh, what about the, uh, and the Q&A episode answered a lot of my questions, which was wonderful. Um, Let me ask you, what do you feel? Maybe uh, you have a a difference of opinion or maybe you uh, have the same um, answer. What was the most shocking thing you learned 
while researching this story? I would say the most shocking thing for me was the Urban Explorers episode. And that was kind of my baby because that's what I was so interested in when we started this whole project. And we spoke to this young man who went in there over a hundred times after this hospital had closed, seeking some sort of therapy, some sort of comfort. And he got it by going into this abandoned hospital and creating art. And it was just a beautiful story about how this abandoned building actually helped save this kid. And to me, that was probably one of the most shocking things that we learned from this whole thing, because I didn't expect that. When we went into the Urban Explorers episode, we had all these photos. We talked to a bunch of Urban Explorers. It was like, how did you get in? What did you do while you were in there? What are these pictures of? And, you know, it was interesting information. But once we spoke with this one guy, the story completely changed. And I thought that was pretty cool. As I was listening to the Urban Explorer story, I thought, got it. And then there was like a just a heartbeat second where, to your point, it, it all changed. Where I was like, okay, I got it. It was dangerous, but they wanted to get the pictures, and this is what they do. That kid's story really, to your point, kind of connected with me where I went, oh, now I get it. Like this place, and, and I think you had... Um, introduce it as, you know, even after it was closed, it continued to help people. And I was like, oh, it's an interesting, you know, kind of turn of phrase. I wonder how this is going to play out. And then I, I completely got it. So, yeah. Um, and it was just such a different part of the history of Edgewater Hospital that hasn't really been told in a, you know, lengthy way, I guess. You know, you can look online and read about what happened there, the fraud, the, all of that stuff, but you can see the photos from the urban explorers, but you don't really hear that as part of the history of Edgewater hospital. And it is part of the history. It sat there idle for 20 years and that's what was going on during that time. So it is part of the history. And Todd, how about you? Yeah. What there were two things really that shocked me. Um, the first was I, I mentioned how I took a picture on the sidewalk and was yelled at and told I had to call a property company to get permission to take pictures. And I thought, okay, I'm doing nothing wrong here, but I'm not going to argue with this guy. So the more I, I brought up the hospital, I happened to be at a birthday party in which someone found out where I lived. And this is 2008. So shortly after the time I moved here and discovered the hospital. And she said, oh, you live by Edgewater Hospital. I said, yeah, do you know what happened there? She said, well, I worked there. And then started telling me stories. She said, I came from Minneapolis where I was so excited to come to this renowned Chicago hospital. And within the first week, I said, what the hell is going on here? She said they were luring in people who were homeless or people from nursing homes or just senior citizens in general and, and giving them cigarettes and getting 50 bucks to do heart procedures. And my first reaction was, no way. There's no way this was happening in Chicago on the north side in the 90s. Like, not, not possible. I did not believe it. I was wrong, um, obviously. The second thing that surprised me the most was that, and, and it came up a lot, there were two people, really three people, who went to prison for a lengthy amount of time in the scheme. One um, kind of came out a ref reformed man. Another one was on that track and ended up dying in prison. And the third, really, people said, got away with it. And the more I, I looked, I thought, okay, 
um, how could someone be on the hook for all these millions of dollars and be able to flee the country and then stay there for almost a decade while the government just kind of threw their hands in the air and said, well, you, you better get back here. And he didn't. And, yeah. and probably burned through all these millions that he owed the government until just throwing his hands in the air, coming back and faced perjury charges. And it made me do this, this kind of correlation between Al Capone, where this guy kind of had other people do his dirty work, ended up going to prison on tax, tax of it. Was it mail fraud or tax evasion? Yeah, tax evasion. Yeah. So a very minor charge based on what he really wrought and ended up with a bit of a slap on the wrist and is still walking around. And the really bizarre part is that this person now lives a stone's throw from where I grew up in Northwest Indiana. I had no idea when this started, the correlations between um, where he's at today and where I grew up. And it was, it was just galling to me. Uh, did you have anyone try to stop production of the podcast or, you know, insist on something that you were trying to uh, set up was not accurate, even though you had proof that it was? Did you have any kind of weird interactions with people like that? Um, oh, this, this is a Stephanie question. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to try to say this the best way I can. So the hospital has now turned into what they're calling luxury apartments. The three buildings that are still standing on Ashland are these really nice apartments. We have spoken to the developer, the company that rents them. We've been inside a few times and we were working with them on a couple of different things. And as we've started releasing the trailer and the, the visual elements that went along with it on social media, I got a phone call and it was kind of like, what you're saying isn't necessarily accurate. Can you put the good stuff up front so that the apartments don't look bad and you know, that type of thing. And I was like, I can assure you that this is all very accurate. We have done our research and this is the story that people can find on Google. So sorry, we're not going to change it. <laughs> yeah. It's not surprising based on uh, the, the stuff that you reported about um, trying to sell it and, and the people who may have profited in, in, uh, you know, not illegal ways, but in slightly shady ways. Um, uh, interesting. <laughs> it all kind of coincided uh, around the same time. The good um, news about the apartments, though, is the first building that they have leased is completely full and all rented out. And they are really beautiful. So nice. they're doing well over there. Everything nice. is good. <laughs> wow. Well, that's that's great. Did you interview anyone that you felt was being dishonest or misleading in a way where you were like, we're not going to be able to use this. I, I think it, the, the, the real hang up came with me was how few people from, and by few, I mean, no one, no one from the government wanted to talk about this case. Hmm. Nobody. They won the civil case against the owner and yet no one wanted to participate. So it leads you to question, all right, you know, at the end of the Super Bowl, you're not going to send a camera crew to the losing team's locker room to interview that team and just avoid the winners. So why don't you want to talk? And, you know, we were left to speculate. We heard plenty of rumors. Um, but that to me was probably the one where I thought, well, why wouldn't you? And to other people's credit, we gave a lot of people the opportunity who may have gotten in trouble on this and said, you know, if you Google your name, not good things come up. 
at all. And this is a chance to kind of change the narrative a bit and share your side of the story or share where you're at today. And of all of those people, there was only one person who talked with us and mm. the way he turned his life in prison and post prison uh, blew us away. Um, in fact, we were heading down one path with the podcast and after we interviewed this person, it, all of a sudden we threw so much out and, and had to restart and said, no, the, the story has, has taken on a different meaning now and we have to, to cover this part. And you can chalk that interview up to another time that I cried. So, wow, <laughs> it was very moving. And there was a shower and whiskey that night. I recall that <laughs> there was. Yes. Wow. See, it seems like your water bill and your whiskey bill alone <laughs> might have uh, been, you know, a big part of the production value of this. That's um, true. Write that off. I don't know. <laughs> So you're both now uh, so intertwined with the story and the history of the Edgewater Hospital. Uh, how does that feel to each of you? Todd, if you want to go first and Stephanie second. I, I'll echo what you said, and it was a story that needed to be told. And it was going to hurt, and we learned early on that it, you, know, it, you were going to pick at some scars that had probably sat dormant for a long time and people thought were healed. Hmm. Um, and it took some some processing. And I think one of the greatest compliments we heard was from someone in this podcast saying, this podcast was medicine for me because for all these years, I've struggled with this. And, um, you know, just to come to work one day and the place that I had worked at for 20, 30 years was gone. I'd never fully processed that. And by talking about it, it was kind of like therapy. And, and, and to say that the podcast was medicine was not at all what I was expecting. In fact, before the podcast started, I reached out to this person and said, you may not even want to listen to this because it's going to drag you through some years of, of your life that you may not want to think about again. And the result was obviously quite different. The entire time we did interviews for this podcast, everyone that worked at Edgewater Hospital said, this place is like a family. And it got to the point where everyone said that. And Todd and I were like, have they rehearsed this? Like everyone says the same thing and they were right. And after telling the story of Edgewater hospital, it kind of feels like we're honorary members of the Edgewater hospital family. For example, the doctor that you heard from in the podcast that is from Spain, he lives in Spain, has invited us to come stay with him at some point. Uh, this past weekend we had, a dinner with a few of the folks that were on the podcast. It's the first time we ever met them in person. We've seen them on Zoom and on the phone, but we had a little get together to meet with them. And the young man from the Urban Explorer episode texted me this weekend and said, hey, when are we doing dinner? So we're kind of entwined in this Edgewater Hospital family now. And that's been really cool. And they're going to be people that we probably stay in contact with for our entire lives. And what's on the horizon now that you've accomplished this amazing uh, podcast? Do you have other stories you want to investigate or are you going to take a little time to uh, catch your breath? I, I feel like the podcast itself, you could break into probably three or four separate or uh, prequels, if you will, or, or parallel podcast with the characters we met. And when I say characters, I, I mean, just people who were in the podcast, but their stories completely caught us off guard. The, the things we read about them prior to meeting them or interviewing them were night and day. Um, there was so much more to everybody's story than what was reported. And, uh, you know, there's part of me that 
um, believes this story um, still has more to be told. There's still more of the story to be told. And I, I need to uh, find a way to either cut that cord <laughs> or uh, find something uh, probably on the non-medical fraud side for our next project, because I don't know if I could do that again. Everyone keeps saying, are you going to be looking into Loretto Hospital? I'm like, yeah. oh, no, I don't know if I can go there again. And, you know, other folks have said, you guys put on this great production and we tell them that we recorded it in our bedroom under a blanket and they're always very surprised. So a lot of folks have said you should be doing some sort of podcast class, even if it is a podcast or something like that. So we've thrown that idea around a time or two because we learned so much from beginning to end by doing this podcast. So we'd love to share that with people if we can. So who knows? We're not we're not totally sure yet. <laughs> yeah. And we had actually taped four episodes before we lost our jobs last summer and then had to recreate it at home. Um, because we were using a radio studio and then we moved into the bedroom studio, which truly is us with a blanket because I think O'Hare must land planes above our condo because that seems to be uh, nonstop. And there's always a fire truck going by and wind chimes. I, I don't know. Um, I didn't realize wind chimes were as popular <laughs> as they were outside of senior homes. But our condo, uh, windy days and wind chimes make recording a podcast not so easy. Well, whatever you end up doing, I'm looking forward to hearing it uh, because I think you two uh, create some really great work together. So Todd M. Gans, Stephanie Young, thank you so much for being uh, with me today and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for having us. listening to today's episode about If the Walls Could Talk, a podcast about Chicago's Edgewater Hospital, available now wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to the creators and hosts of the podcast, Todd M. Gans and Stephanie Young, for taking the time to talk with me about it. If you have questions about anything covered today, anything to add or have an idea for a future episode, I'd love to hear about it. Send me an email at chicagohistorypod at gmail.com. I'll be posting info on social media throughout the week about this episode. If you're on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, please give us a follow. The original art for the Chicago History Podcast used on the social media pages was created by John K. Schneider. Thanks, Johnny. He can be found at Angel Eyes Art, JKS, on Instagram or via email at angeleyesartjks at gmail.com. I will be back soon with another chapter in Chicago's history. Until then, get out and explore when possible, learn more about whatever city you live in, and stay safe. <laughs>